0: G'day, and welcome to the AOS Coach sneak peek into the 2023 Seraphon Tome. In this video, with my hand of glory and vast intellect, I will manifest your allegiance abilities, enhancements, key war scroll changes, the battalion, and your new points. This book has introduced six new units, but it also has retired eight units, and I will highlight all of this throughout the video. Now, Games Workshop did send me a copy of this battle tome in advance at no cost. However, we'll have no editorial involvement in the video. And as always, you will find a book that is full of art, narrative gems, path to glory, as well as that unique code to unlock your rules in the AOS app. If you're new to Seraphon or you just need a reminder, Seraphon armies are split up into two key build types. The Starborn Seraphon are creatures who reside in their cosmic vessels in Azir, often appearing to be creatures of pure energy to the people of the realms, teleporting into battle from their ships seemingly from the will of their star masters, while the coalesced Seraphon represent the temple fleets that have landed and settled across the mortal realms, becoming true creatures with physical presence, worshipping at their temples and using their technology in the name of the Great Plan. Now when you're building your Seraphon army, you must choose between Starborn or Coalesced. With that choice, your units will either gain the Starborn or the Coalesced keyword unless they already have it on their war scrolls, for example, your unique units. Each type of Seraphon army has its own set of battle traits and enhancements and will not use the battle traits or enhancement from the other side. You'll also notice your faction Terrain, the Realm Shaper Engine, also has different set of rules depending on your choice of Starborn or Coalesced. But again, we'll unpack all of this through the video. Starting at the Starborn-style Seraphon coming from their Cosmic Vessels in Azir, you still have two sub-factions to help you customize your force even further with the Dracothian's Tail and the Fangs of Sotek again more rules a little later. You've lost the Sacred Asterism's battle trait and you can no longer draw upon the powers of the heavens to give your boosts of one of three different options. You've also lost the Unfeeling battle trait that would make all of your Starborn Seraphon a bravery of 10, which is obviously going to be a big hit for those lower bravery units like Skinks, or Heroic Recovery on a hero like Yukonosor. Lords of Space and Time was a name for an old battle trait that has been renamed as the label for a set of new heroic actions that can be only used by your Starborn Slan. Contemplations of the Ancient Ones, pick one friendly Starborn Slan, replace one spell that they know from the Law of the Celestial Domination with another spell from this table. Your spell laws are split between your Coalesced and your Starborn. This used to be a battle trait, now it's going to cost you a heroic action. The other is spatial Translocation. Pick one friendly Starborn Slan and then pick one other friendly Starborn unit that's wholly within 12 inches of them. Remove that other Starborn unit from the battlefield and set it up again on the battlefield more than 9 inches from all enemy units. That unit cannot move in the following movement phase. Now this used to be the old rule for Lords of Space and Time, now again it's costing you a heroic action. Cosmic Power is a modified version of the Old Celestial Congregation. If you have a Starborn army, the following are considered to be Cosmic Nodes. Friendly Starborn Wizard Units, Friendly Starborn Astrolith Bearer Units, and Friendly Starborn Realm Shaper Engine Faction Terrain Features. Now, During the battle, you will receive Cosmic Power Points, now known as CPPs, to spend on abilities and summon units in the battlefield. You'll begin the battle with zero cosmic power points, and at the start of your hero phase, you will receive one cosmic power point for each friendly Starborn Wizard or friendly Starborn ashlith Bearer on the battlefield. In addition, you will receive one cosmic power point each time a friendly Starborn Wizard successfully casts a spell that is not unbound, successfully unbinds a spell, or successfully dispels an endless spell. In the past, you would have to sacrifice a spell cast in order to generate additional summoning points. Now it's based on a successful spell cast or an unbind or a dispel, which will align perfectly to how you want to play as a Starborn player. Your points appear to be opening up as well because they are now being generated by your Starborn Wizards rather than the old specific units like the slan and the starsia So it does bring in the Skink Star Priest into the play, although you're now no longer generating D3 if you sacrifice a spell. It's now just going to be one additional for each successful cast, as well as obviously what's on the battlefield. Now that you've started generating your CPPs, you'll want to spend them. Now, there are two ways that you can spend your Cosmic Power Points. In your Hero Phase, you can spend your Cosmic Power Points on one of three abilities. Now, you can only use the ability if you have enough Cosmic Power Points to do so, and the same ability cannot be used more than once each phase. Azure Light, you must spend five Cosmic Power Points to use this ability. You can return D3 slain models to each friendly starborn unit with a wounds characteristic of 1 or 2 that is wholly within 12 inches of any friendly cosmic nodes. Roll separately for each unit. Protection of the old ones will cost you 10 CPPs, and until the start of your next hero phase, friendly units affected by the reviving energies ability will have a ward of 5+, instead of 6+. Cleanse the realm. You must spend 15 cosmic power points to use this ability. Roll a dice for each enemy unit within 12 inches of any friendly cosmic nodes. On a 2+, that unit suffers a number of mortal wounds equal to the roll. This is a whole new way of using your cosmic points, and you might have noticed a very similar method in the Heed Knights of Slanash or the Blades of Corn, where you either can summon or you can use a bunch of abilities. And this is going to be great for people who don't want to have a deep summoning pool and have to bring a whole bunch of extra models to the table. It's up to you. All 3 of these options will have their place on the battlefield, but if you're anything like me, you'll want to do some serious damage through cleansing the realms, but you're likely going to trigger that only once or twice during the game at best, depending on if you're tapping into your summoning pool. And for anyone who is worried about their summoning pool, you can still summon Seraphon units. At the end of your movement phase, you can spend your cosmic power points to summon 1 unit from the list below and add it to your army. Each unit's going to cost you a bunch of summoning points, obviously against the list, and you can only summon units if you have enough cosmic power points to do so. When you set up units on the battlefield, they must be more than 9 inches from all enemy units, and wholly within 12 inches of a friendly cosmic node. So what can I summon? Well, your Engine of the Gods will cost you 30 points, one Stegadon will cost you 28, one Bastiladon will cost you 24, Three of the new Agridon lancers, as well as ten Saurus Guard, will each cost you twenty-two points. Ten Saurus Warriors will cost you twenty points. Three of your War Warspawn or your Croxigor will cost you eighteen. Five Raptoron Hunters, five Rapidon Chargers, or a spawn of Choatek will cost you sixteen CPP. Five Hunters of Hoachi with dart pipes or three Pterodon Riders will cost you twelve. 3 Ripodactyl Riders or 5 Hunters of Hawachi with the Starstone Bolas are going to cost you 10. And 3 Terror Wings or 10 Skinks will cost you 8 CPPs. If you like summoning on units like in the old book, it's good news because it's still here. The points are close to what they used to be. Summoning on extra units is obviously great and a very powerful utility feature to have in your army to be able to match your opponent and bring on what you need, whether it is summoning on extra bodies to control an objective, to bring on more offense to deal with your opponent, or bring on something that'll help you score your battle tactic. There are seven Starborn Command traits to choose from between your Slan and your Skink Generals. Starmaster Disciples are for your slan Generals only, and there are four options for you. Arcane Might, this General can control up to three Predatory Endless Spells per Hero Phase. In addition, when this General casts a spell that summons an Endless Spell, the range of that spell is doubled. Higher State of Consciousness, ignore modifiers both positive and negative to save rolls for attacks that target this General. Lord of Celestial Resonance, each time this general successfully casts a spell that is not unbound, successfully unbinds a spell, or successfully dispels an endless spell, you'll receive two Cosmic Power Points instead of one. Then with vast intellect, this general knows two extra spells from the Law of Celestial Domination. While the Celestial Attendants are for your Skink generals only... Masters of the Star rituals are for your wizards only. This general knows all of the spells from the lore of the celestial manipulation, in addition to any other spells that they know. Nimble War Leader rolled 2d6 instead of d6 when making a run roll for friendly skink units while they're wholly within 18 inches of this general. Then Shrewd Strategist, once per battle at the start of your opponent's combat phase, you can pick one friendly Seraphon unit wholly within 18 inches of the general. If that unit is within 12 inches of any enemy units, but more than 3 inches from all enemy units, it can immediately make a charge. My favorite command trait would be the Lord of the Celestial Resonance to generate additional cosmic power points, though I don't mind Vast Intellect for that extra spells to bring ultimate utility to my slan. I'm not sure if I would run a Skink General, but if I did, it would probably be with Shrewd Strategist. Being able to charge in my opponent's combat phase could really mess up with your opponent's battle tactics and boost up your objective control. There are 7 Starborn Artifacts, again split between your Slan and your Skinks. There are 4 Treasures of the Old Ones, which are for your Slan Heroes only. Relocation Orb once per battle at the end of a phase. If the Bearer has any wounds allocated to them in that phase, you can remove the Bearer from the battlefield and set it up again anywhere, wholly within 12 inches of a friendly Cosmic Node and more than 9 inches from all enemy units. Prism of Amuntok once per battle at the start of a phase, pick one enemy unit within 12 inches of the bearer and roll the dice. On a 1, nothing happens. On a 2 plus that enemy unit suffers a number of mortal wounds equal to that roll. Zotec Dial after deployment but before the first battle round begins, secretly record a number of a battle round on a piece of paper. At the start of that battle round, reveal the information and then heal all wounds allocated to the bearer. In addition, during that battle round, add one to the save rolls for attacks that target the bearer. Then with the Space Folder's Stave, once per turn, at the end of your movement phase, if the Bearer is on the battlefield, you can say that it will guide the arrival of the Celestial Reinforcements. If you do so, the next friendly Starborn unit to be set up on the battlefield can be set up more than 7 inches from all enemy units, instead of more than 9 inches. While there are three Vestments of the Priesthood for your Skink Heroes only, Incandescent Retresses, at the start of each of your hero phases you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to the Bearer, Sacred Stegadon Helm add 1 to save rolls for attacks that target the Bearer, in addition add 1 to the damage characteristic of melee weapons used by the Bearer if it made a charge move in the same turn. Finally, the Cloak of Feathers is for a skink hero that doesn't have the monster keyword. Now, subtract 1 from hit rolls for attacks that target the bearer. In addition, add 4 inches to the bearer's movement characteristic, and the bearer can fly. My favorite artifacts would either be the face folder's stave for the ability to bring on units outside of 7 inches of an enemy rather than 9 inches, Though I don't mind the Zodiac Dial, I would probably just pick Battle Round 3 most of the time, unless my opponent had a lot of shooting, where I might pick Battle Round 2. I also don't mind the Skink Artifact that lets me heal D3 wounds in each of my hero phases. It might save me a Heroic Recovery. Then there are 8 spells in the Starborn Spell Lore. Lore of the Celestial Domination are for your Slan Wizards, and there are 5 spells. Comet's Call is a casting value of 7. If successfully cast, pick up to D3 enemy units on the battlefield. If the casting roll was a 10+, you get to pick D6 different enemy units instead of the D3. Now, each of those units that you pick will suffer D3 mortal wounds, and you will roll separately for each unit. Topex Beneficence is a spell with a casting value of 5 and a range of 18. If successfully cast, pick one friendly skink unit wholly within range and visible to the caster. Until the start of your next hero phase, subtract 1 from wound rolls for attacks that target that unit. Drain Magic is a spell with a casting value of 6. If successfully cast until the end of the phase, add 1 to dispelling rolls made by friendly units and subtract 1 from unbinding rolls made by enemy units. Mystical Unforging is a spell with the casting value of 8 and a range of 12. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range and visible to the caster. And until the start of your next hero phase, the Ren characteristic of that unit's weapons is treated as none. Finally for your Slans, you have the Stellar Tempest. It's a spell with the casting value of 8 and a range of 24. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range and visible to the caster. Roll a number of dice equal to the number of models in that unit. For each 5+, plus, that unit suffers 1 model wound. Then for your Skink Wizards, you have the Lore of the Celestial Manipulation. Cosmic Crush is a spell that has a casting value of 7 and a range of 12. If successfully cast, pick 1 enemy unit within range and visible to the caster. Roll a number of dice equal to the number of models in that unit. For each roll that equals or exceeds that unit's safe characteristic, that unit suffers one mortal wound. Celestial Harmony is a spell with a casting value of 5 and a range of 18. If successfully cast, pick one friendly Seraphon unit that's wholly within range and visible to the caster. If the casting roll was a 10+, pick all friendly Seraphon units that are wholly within range and visible to the caster instead of one. Until your next hero phase, the units picked have a bravery characteristic of 10. Finally, the speed of Huanchi is a spell with the casting value of 6 and a range of 18. If successfully cast, pick one friendly Croxigore or Skink unit that is not a monster and that is wholly within range and visible to the caster. That unit can make a normal move. My favorite spells will be Comet's Call because, spoiler alert, the Slant Star Master has lost this spell off its War Scroll. I like the Mystical Unforging because the target enemy unit is going to bring down that Ren characteristic to nothing. Cosmic Crush is going to be a great way to kill a bunch of hordes, as well as the Speed of Hawachi is probably going to be an auto-include for me if I was building around Croxigores in any variety because uh, I want to get them into combat sooner, especially in a Starborn list. Finally for your Starborn, you do have your two sub-faction choices as well as the Starborn Realm Shaper engine, this is different to the Coalesced version of the Realm Shaper engine. If you choose Dracothian's Tail as your sub-faction during deployment instead of setting up a Dracothian Tail unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side and say that it is set up in the Temple ship as a reserve unit. You can set up one unit on the temple ship for each Dracothian tail unit that you have set up on the battlefield at the end of your movement phase you can set up one or more of those reserve units from the temple ship to be on the battlefield wholly within 12 inches of a friendly cosmic node and more than nine inches from all enemy units the other choice is in your fangs of sotek The commanding player of a Fangs of Sotek army can use the redeploy command ability up to three times in each of their opponent's movement phases. In addition, the first two times the redeploy command is issued to a friendly Fangs of Sotek skink unit in that phase, no command point is spent. next up is the starborn realm shaper engine and this is only for starborn armies Uh, the coalesce side has its own version of the realm shaper engine The setup looks pretty consistent to what it used to be. I will call out that it used to be a defensible piece. It used to be able to garrison up to 15 models in the Realm Shaper engine. You can no longer do this. It is now impassable. So models cannot land on this terrain feature. They can fly over it. They just can't land on it. Um, But the power that you want to be looking into is power unleashed. It has tweaked a little bit, but I'll just read out the new rules. If there are any friendly Seraphon Wizards within 3 inches of the terrain feature, you can pick one other terrain feature on the battlefield and roll the dice for each enemy unit within 3 inches of that terrain feature. You get to add 2 to that roll if the terrain feature is within 18 inches of this terrain feature. You subtract 2 from the roll if the terrain feature is more than 36 inches from your Realm Shaper engine. And on a 4+, plus, the enemy unit is going to suffer D3 mortal wounds. So mostly the wording here is the same, except it used to be triggered off being garrisoned. Now you've just got to have a Seraphon Wizard within three inches, because we know you can't garrison in this anymore. Now to your Coalesce-style Seraphon, and you do have a set of battle traits that are different to the Starborn. At a very high level, it is more combat and monster-orientated, and less magic and summoning focus to your Celestial counterparts. You also have two sub factions to choose from between coattails, claw, and thunder lizards. You've lost the mount trait options that were available to your stegodons, your carnosaurs, and your troglodons, as well as the primeval domain that played around the terrain on the table with some extra deadly and mystical. Predatory Fighters adds one to the bite rolls made for coalesce saurus and coalesce croxagore units with their mighty saurus jaws, their saurus jaws, or their vice like jaws abilities. The various Jaws attacks are no longer a melee attack on the unit's War Scroll, but rather it's turned into an ability similar to the Dad Bod Ogres. Instead of getting plus one attack, it will now bring the Bite Rolls to be a 5+, plus to deal a Mortal Wound. Now some of the units, like your heroes, will roll multiple Bite Rolls. Scaly Skin subtracts one from the damage inflicted to a minimum of one by each successful attack that targets a friendly coalesced unit that is either a Saurus, a Croxagore, or a Monster Keyword. This seems to be unchanged and is always going to be a great feature, perhaps one of the best native abilities within the book. While you did lose your mount traits, you have gained some new monstrous rampages through the Beasts of the Dark Jungles, which can be chosen by coalesced monsters instead of any other ones they can normally carry out, like Roar or Stomp. Gargantuan Jaws can be only carried out by a Carnosaur. Pick one enemy unit within three inches of this unit and roll the dice. If the roll is greater than the model's wounds characteristic, it is slain. Earthshaking Charge can be only chosen by a Stegodon, and it has to have made a charge move in the same phase to carry out this monstrous rampage. Now pick one enemy unit within 1 inch of this unit and roll a dice. On a 4+, plus, the strike last effect applies to that unit until the end of the following combat phase. Bludgeoning Sweep is only for Bastilledons. Pick one enemy unit within 3 inches of this unit that is not a monster and roll a dice. If the roll is less than the number of models in that enemy unit, that enemy unit suffers a number of mortal wounds equal to the roll. Odious Roar is only for Troglodons, now roll a dice. On a 2 plus until the end of the following combat phase, the range of this unit's stench of death ability is 12 inches instead of 9 inches. There are 7 coalesce command traits to choose from, but unlike your starborn counterparts, they are split between your Slan and your Saurus generals. Lord of the Temple Cities are for your slan General, and there are four different options. Wrath of Eons, once per battle at the start of your combat phase, you can say that this General will rouse the Wrath of the Seraphon. If you do so until the end of that phase, add one to the attack characteristic of melee weapons used by friendly Saurus and Croxagore units, while they're wholly within 12 inches of this unit custodian of the divine technologies pick two artifacts of power from the treasures of the temple city's table and note them on your army list now this general has both of those artifacts of power but they cannot be given any other artifacts these two artifacts of power are in addition to the first artifact of power enhancement that your army would normally take master of the material plane this general knows two extra spells from the lore of the ancient domains and then dominating mind once per turn at the start of your hero phase, you can pick one friendly coalesced monster unit on the battlefield and say that it will have its mind dominated by the general. If you do so, roll the dice on a 2+, plus, add 1 to the wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by that unit until the start of your next hero phase. If the unit is picked to have its mind dominated has a mount, the command trait only affects the unit's mount, not the rider. Savage Commanders are your Soros General options. Prime War Beast is for units that have a mount only. Now you get to add one to the attack characteristic of weapons used by that general's mount. Thickly scaled hide, you get to add one to the save rolls for attacks that target this general. And then Vengeful Defender at the start of your hero phase. If this general is wholly within your territory, you can pick this general and up to two other friendly Saurus or Croxagore units wholly within 12 inches of this general, to make a normal move. My favorite command traits would be the Wrath of Eons or the Dominating Mind. Wrath of Eons if I'm using a Coattails Claw army with plenty of Saurus and Croxagore, and Dominating Minds with Thunder Lizards for that sweet plus one to wound on a Stegodon or a Carnosaur. I don't mind Vengeful Defender if you're not taking a Slan General and you prefer to take a Soros one to get those early game movements for your Croxigore or your Soros units. There are seven artifacts for your Coalesced, again split between your Slan and your Soros heroes. Treasures of the Temple Cities are for your Slan heroes. Throne of the Lost Gods adds four inches to the bearer's movement characteristic and adds one to the bearer's wounds characteristic. With Crystalline Skull, the bearer starts with a power reserve of zero. Each time the bearer successfully casts a spell that is not unbound, increase the bearer's power reserve by one. Once per battle in your hero phase, you can say that the bearer will shatter the Crystalline Skull. If you do so, pick one enemy unit within 12 inches of the bearer and roll a dice equal to the number of power of reserve. For each three plus, that unit suffers one mortal wound. Ixy grubs at the start of each hero phase, you can heal one wound allocated to the bearer. In addition, in your hero phase, you can re-roll one casting roll or one dispelling roll for the bearer, and in the enemy hero phase, you can re-roll one unbinding roll for the bearer. Then Kotao's familiar once per battle at the start of your hero phase, you can say that the bearer will be blessed by Tepok. If you do so, the bearer can attempt to cast one additional spell in that hero phase, and that spell can be any spell from the lore of the ancient domains. Relics of the Warrior are for your Soros heroes and there are three options. Sotex Gaze, enemy models with a wounds characteristic of 1 or 2, cannot contest objectives while they're within 6 inches of the bearer. Blood Rage Pendant, add 1 to the attack characteristic of the bearer's melee weapons. If the number of wounds allocated to the bearer is equal to or greater than half the bearer's wounds characteristic, rolling up, add 2 instead. Then Blade of Realities, pick 1 of the bearer's melee weapons, improve the Ren characteristic of that weapon by 1. In addition, add one to the damage inflicted by each successful attack made with that weapon that targets a hero. My favourite artefacts would be the Ixie Grubs for that re-rolling to casting, dispelling and unbinding for the Bearer as well as the One Wound Heal should you take a slan. Tech's gaze is screaming out to me because it's a great objective denial artifact, although I'm the King of Smash and I would love the Blade of Realities or even the Blood Rage Pendant for some extra damage and melee offense. There are 8 spells in the Coalesce spell lore and they are different than the Starborn ones. The Earth Trembles has a casting value of 8, if successfully cast, pick one of the corners of the battlefield and draw a line between that corner and the closest part of the caster's base. Now roll the dice for each enemy unit passed by that line. On a 4, plus, they suffer D3 mortal wounds. Empowered Celeste is a casting value of 7 and a range of 18. If successfully cast, pick one friendly Saurus unit wholly within range and visible to the caster. Until the start of the next hero phase, Improve the Ren characteristic of that unit's Celestite weapons by 1. A Celestite weapon is any weapon that has Celestite in its name. Drain Magic has a casting value of 6. If successfully cast until the end of the phase, add 1 to dispelling rolls made by friendly units and subtract 1 from unbinding rolls made by enemy units. Itzel's Invigoration has a casting value of 6 and a range of 12. If successfully cast, pick one friendly monster wholly within range and visible to the caster. Until the start of your next hero phase, use the top row of that unit's damage table, regardless of how many wounds it suffered. Finally, Telepathic Summons has a casting value of 6 and a range of 9. If successfully cast, pick one friendly saurus unit that is not a monster and is visible to the caster. Now remove that unit from the battlefield and set it up again on the battlefield, wholly within range of the caster. The Lore of the Primal Jungles is for your Skink Wizards, and you've got three spells. The Light of Cho'tek is a casting value of 7 and a range of 12. If successfully cast, pick one friendly Seraphon model, wholly within range and visible to the caster. Now roll a number of dice equal to the wounds allocated to it each 5+, plus, heal 1 wound allocated to that model. Heavenly Frenzy has a casting value of 7 and a range of 18. If successfully cast, pick 1 friendly Seraphon unit, wholly within range and visible to the caster. Until the end of the turn, that unit can run and still charge later in the turn. And then Tide of Serpents is a casting value of 7 and a range of 15. If successfully cast, pick 1 enemy unit within range and visible to the caster. Roll a number of dice equal to the number of models in that unit. For each 5 plus that unit suffers 1 mortal wound. From this spell lore, my favourites would be the Heavenly Frenzy for the ability to run and charge for a Seraphon unit, especially a monster, Telepathic Summons to teleport a Saurus unit that is not a monster around the board, or Empowered Celestide for the improved rend on the Saurus unit. Finally, we have the two sub-factions as well as your coalesced version of the Realm Shaper engine. Kotel's Claw is one of your two sub-faction choices and you get to add one to the wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly kotail's Claw Saurus or Kotel's Claw Croxigore units that have made a charge move in the same turn. Alternatively, your Thunder Lizards is your other sub-faction, and at the end of the charge phase, you can carry out two monstrous rampages for each friendly Thunder Lizards monster instead of one, remembering that Coalesced has gained a whole bunch of additional monstrous rampages. Next up is your Coalesce Realm Shaper engine. Again, it is different to the Starborn one. Uh, it too is impassable, so it's lost the garrison ability, and it also can only be used in a Coalesced army. The ability you want to know about here is the Feast Guardians, Add one to the bite rolls made for Coalesce Saurus and Coalesce Croxagore units using the Mighty Saurus Jaws, the Saurus Jaws, or the Vice like Jaws ability if they are wholly within 12 inches of this terrain feature. In addition, use the top row of the damage table for friendly Coalesce monsters if they are wholly within 12 inches of this terrain feature, regardless of how many wounds the unit has suffered. Finally, to round out your allegiance abilities before we get into the units is your grand strategies, your battle tactics, and you've gained a core battalion for match play. Your grand strategies are the realm shaper guardians, repel corruption, continuous expansion, and further the great plan. Realm Shaper Guardians, when the battle ends you complete the grand strategy if you have a Coalesce Realm Shaper engine or a Starborn Realm Shaper engine on the battlefield, there are no enemy models within 12 inches of it and it was not affected by a successful smash to rubble monstrous rampage. Repel Corruption, when the battle ends you complete this grand strategy if there are no enemy units wholly within your territory. Continuous expansion, when the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there is at least one friendly Seraphon unit wholly within each quarter of the battlefield. Finally, further the great plan, when the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if you have completed four or more battle tactics, and each of those battle tactics were from the March of the Seraphon host, which is your Seraphon battle tactics we'll talk about in a second. If I'm picking one of these grand strategies, it's likely to be the Realm Shaper Guardians if you think you can protect your Realm Shaper engine, Uh, continuous expansion if you have plenty of troops, or you can summon them on the board, or you might just go pick something from the General's Handbook. If you previously looked at the old version of the continuous expansion that came from White Dwarf, you'll notice that now it is no longer locked to a coalesced army, while the Astromatrix White Dwarf grand strategy was not brought into the new book while your battle tactics are Stampede of Scales, Celestial Obliteration, Overwhelming Numbers, Apex Predatory, Cold-Blooded Resilience, and Pack Hunters. Stampede of Scales pick three different friendly Seraphon monsters. You complete this tactic if each of those units runs in the following movement phase, and finishes that run within six inches of at least one of the other units that you picked, and are wholly within enemy territory. Celestial Obliteration. Pick one enemy unit on the battlefield. You complete this tactic if that unit is destroyed this turn by mortal wounds caused by a spell or the abilities of an endless spell. Overwhelming Numbers. Pick one objective controlled by the enemy. You complete this tactic if at the end of this turn you control that objective and all friendly units contesting it have a skink keyword. Apex Predatory. Pick one enemy monster. You complete this tactic at the end of this turn if that enemy unit was destroyed by an attack made by a friendly Seraphon monster. Cold-Blooded Resilience, pick one friendly Saurus or Croxagor unit within 3 inches of an enemy unit. You complete this tactic at the end of this turn if that unit was not destroyed, you did not retreat, and it was not removed from the battlefield. Finally, Pack Hunters, pick one enemy unit within 3 inches of only one friendly Agradon unit. You complete this tactic if at the end of this turn, that unit is within three inches of two or more friendly agrodon units. There's plenty of achievable battle tactics for you to score depending on how you build your list. But realistically, when I look at this list and think about the Coalesced or the Starborn, think about a Thunder Lizard build, think about all the different builds. There should be at least two achievable battle tactics regardless of how you build your list, in addition to obviously the General's Handbook. Stampede of Scales was kept from the White Dwarf but if you did use Might of the Starborn that's no longer around. Finally from your match play rules you do have one core battalion that you can use in match play and that is the Thunderquake. It's mandatory that you take a Stegadon Chief as well as two Bastilledons or Stegadons. You mix and match how you want to choose. In addition, your optional choices are two units of Croxigor, one Engine of the Gods, and one Spawn of Cho'tek. The benefits of this battalion will be Swift or Slayers, which will give you a free command point for either at the double, forward to victory, all that attack, or unleash hell, depending on if you pick Swift or Slayers. You don't get both, it's one or the other. This battalion's alright. If your list already included these units, it's going to help you package up those monsters, But outside of that, I probably wouldn't use it. I wouldn't start here and then build my whole strategy and my list around it. But if I happen to have them, why not package them up? Because as you probably already know, monsters are hard to fit into battalions. There are six new units in this battle tome, which isn't including the updated sculpts like the Slan Star Master. Let's start with the Croxigor Warspawned, which is a new variant to the Croxigor. Now it has a move of five inches, a save of four plus, a bravery of seven, and four wounds each. It has two melee profiles and no shooting attack. This unit is armed with the Drake Fang Warpick, and one in every three models can replace that weapon to have a Star Fang Warpick. The standard Drake Fang War Pick has a range of two, three attacks, hits on fours, wounds on threes, Ren minus two for two damage. While the special weapon, the Star Fang War Pick, has a range of two, three attacks, hits on threes, wounds on threes, Ren two for three damage. So the difference here is an extra point of damage as well as a little bit easier to hit. They do have a couple of special abilities. With Skink Guidance, Unit Champions of a Skink Unit can issue commands to this unit if this unit is wholly within 12 inches of a Skink Unit. Heavy Scaled Skin, subtract 1 from Wound Rolls for attacks made with Missile Weapons that target this unit. With the spawn of Sotek, you get to add 1 to the attack characteristic of this unit's melee weapons if any models in a friendly Skink Unit wholly within 12 inches of this unit has been slain in this phase. Now get familiar with the new version of the Jaws ability. You'll notice that on all of the War Scrolls, the jaw attacks have been removed off the profile. So your saurus, for example, your Croxigore, other things like that. Instead, they'll have this Vice-like Jaws, although there's a couple of them with different names, which are different abilities. But anyway, each time this unit fights, after all the attacks have been resolved, pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll three dice for each model in this unit within one inch of that unit. These rolls are referred to as Bite Rolls, and for each Bite Roll of the 6+, plus, that enemy unit suffers 1 Mortal Wound. The keywords on this War Scroll are Order, Seraphon, Croxigor, and Croxigore Warspawned. This unit is definitely worth considering in either a Starborn or a Coalesced list. In Coalesced, it's going to combine nicely for that plus 1 to the Bite Roll ability, and in Coattail's Claw, you'll also get a plus 1 to your Wound Roll when they charge. While in a Starborn army, they're likely to be that offensive hammer unit that you're going to need while combining nicely with a unit of Skinks that you're probably going to take already, and you'll gain that plus one attack. Though Coalesced armies aren't stopped from taking Skinks, so you're just more likely to take Croxigore, and your big Dinos. You'll pay 185 points for three Croxigore spawned. Next up is Ysaurus Scar Veteran on Agridon, who has a move of 8 inches, a save of 4+, a bravery of 8, and a wounds of 8. This unit is armed with either a Relic Celestite Spear or a Relic Celestite Club, while the mount has its own attacks called the Rending Bites and the Striking Talons. If you arm it with the Relic Celestite Spear, it has a range of 2 inches, 4 attacks, hits on 3s, wounds on 3s, rend minus 2 for 2 damage while the Relic Celestite Club has a range of 1 inch, with 5 attacks, hits on 3s, wounds on 3s, rend minus 1 for 2 damage. Regardless of how you build it, the Agridon has its rending bites and striking talons, which is range of 1 inch, 3 attacks, hits on 3s, wounds on 3s, rend minus 2 for 2 damage. The key ability on this war scroll is Primal Rage, This unit has a rage score that starts at 0 at the start of the battle. At the end of each combat phase, if this unit is within 3 inches of any enemy units, increase the rage score by 1 to a maximum of 3. At the end of each combat phase, if this unit is not within 3 inches of any enemy unit, you'll have to reset its rage score to 0, so you'll want to keep this in combat. While this unit has a Rage score of 1 or more, add the Rage score to the attack characteristic of the Rending Bites and the Striking Talons. So you could be sitting anywhere between Attacks 4 up to attack 6 with the Rending Bites and Striking Talons. You also get Alpha Roar and once per battle at the start of your combat phase, you can pick one friendly unit with this ability on the battlefield and unleash a Feral Roar. If you do so, increase the rage score of friendly Agridon units wholly within 18 inches of this unit by 1 to a maximum of 3, so it's going to combine nicely with the Agridon unit we're going to see in a second. The keywords on this war scroll are Order, Seraphon, Saurus, Hero, Agradon, and Scar Veteran. The Saurus Scar Veteran on Agrodon is going to cost you 175 points, and it's going to be a hero slot. It's not unique. Which leads us into the Agradon Lancers. They have a move of 8 inches, they have a save of 4+, plus a bravery of 8 and 5 wounds each. There is 3 models in this unit and you'll pay 210 points, obviously you can reinforce them. Much like the Agridon Scar Veteran, each model in this unit is either armed with a club or a spear, and every model in this unit must be armed with the same weapon option that you choose. If you choose the Relic Celestite Spear, it has a range of 2 inches, 3 attacks, hits on 4s, wounds on 3s, rend minus 2 for 1 damage. While the Celestite Club has a range of 1 inch, 3 attacks, hits on 3s, wounds on 3s, rend minus 1 for 1 damage. Your mount has the Rending Bites and Striking Talons, which has a range of 1 inch, 3 attacks, hits on 3s, wounds on 3s, rend minus 2 for 2 damage. One model in this unit can be the champion and it becomes the Agrodon Lancer Alpha where you get to add one to the attack characteristic of its either Celestite Club or the Spear. One in every three can be an icon bearer and you get to add one to the bravery characteristic while that model's in the unit. Also one in every three can be a war drummer and you can add one to the run rolls and charge rolls for this unit while you have the war drummers. This unit also has Primal Rage, which is exactly the same as what we spoke about on the Scar Veteran on Agridon, which is where they start with a Rage score of 0 at the start of the battle. At the end of each combat phase, if the unit's within 3 inches of an enemy unit, You increase the Rage Score by 1 to a maximum of 3. If it's not within 3 inches, that Rage Score sets to 0. And while it has a Rage Score of 1 or more, you add that number to the attack characteristic of the Rending Bites and the Striking Talons. It has the keywords of Order, Seraphon, Agridon, and Agridon Lancers. This unit has replaced your saurus Knights and have become more elite. This unit is a unit of 3, while your saurus Knights used to be in a unit of 5. They'll do more damage than the old Knights with a much higher rend and more attacks. You're getting 5 more wounds than you would have with your saurus Knights, but you'll notice that the points have basically doubled. You've gained some extra rules like Primal Rage, which could be brutal mid-game when you're up to 6 attacks on the mount with those rend two damage two but you're going to have to keep them alive. The Scarvet on Agridon isn't necessary to make this Agridon Lancers unit work. With the champion, it can issue its own command and be an independent threat piece. It's the same as true in Reverse, where the Scarvet on Agridon could be taken without the Agridon Lancers to have that mounted hero to go out and do its thing. Uh, Although if you did combine the two, you would gain uh, more benefits as we talked about with that Alpha raw to max that uh, Rage Score a little sooner. The Spawn of Chotech has stepped in for your Salamander and your Razodon Hunting Pack. It has a move of 5 inches, a save of 4+, a bravery of 5, and 8 wounds. The Spawn of Cho'tek does come with three Sun Acolytes that are armed with the Celestite Goads. They have to remain within one inch of the Spawn of Cho'tek, and the Spawn of Cho'tek and the crew are treated as one model. It has two options for a shooting attack, as well as two melee attacks. Each time this unit is chosen to shoot, you will need to choose either the Globe of Flame Acid or the Stream of Fire weapon characteristic for that shooting phase if you pick the globe of flame acid it has a range of 24 inches one attack hits on a four plus wounds on a two plus ren minus two for d6 damage while the stream of fire has a range of 12 inches an asterisk attack so we'll talk about that in a second two to hit three to wound ren minus two for one damage If you choose the stream of fire with that asterisk attack the attack characteristic of the stream of fire is equal to the number of models in the target unit to a maximum of 10 attacks while if you choose the globe of flame acid if any wounds caused by attacks made with the globe of flame acid are allocated to an enemy unit subtract one from save rolls for attacks that target that unit until the end of the turn now the same unit cannot be affected by this ability more than once per turn. Along with the shooting attacks, it does have those two melee profiles. The Fiery Maw has a range of 1 inch, 3 attacks, hits on 3s, wounds on 3s, rend minus 2 for 3 damage. While the crew have the Celestite Goads which have a range of 1 inch, 3 attacks each, hits on a 4, wounds on a 4, no rend for 1 damage. The keywords are Order, Seraphon, Skink, Salamander, and Spawn of Chotek. They'll cost you 125 points for one, and they are an artillery choice. Compared to the Salamander, this unit is cheaper, it has more wounds, and it has the ability to do long and short range damage. Both the short and the long-range shooting attacks, I would argue, do more damage unless you're trying to handle a well-armored saved uh, unit at short range, but you're going to be burninating some peasants with that stream of fire. I think you will miss, though, the mortal wounds on sixes that the old salamander used to have. The Globe of Flame Acid is an interesting shooting attack that's going to reduce your opponent's save if you can cause a wound, which will combine nicely with a unit going in with a melee attack. For all the lore buffs out there, Chotek is the god of sun and is venerated by Skinks and Saurus as the bringer of warmth and energy. There are two variants of the Raptadon and we'll start off with the Raptadon Hunters. They have a move of 12 inch, a save of 5+, a bravery of 5 and 2 wounds each. Each model in the Raptadon Hunters unit is armed with a star stone Atlantil and a moonstone club while the Raptodons are armed with the Serrated Fangs. The Starstone Adlantal is a range of 12-inch shooting attack. It has 2 attacks each, hits on a 4, wounds on a 4, rend minus 2 for 1 damage. While the Moonstone Club is a melee attack with a range of 1 inch, 2 attacks each, hits on a 4, wounds on a 4, no rend for 1 damage. While the Mount Serrated Fangs have a range of 1 inch, 3 attacks each, hits on a 3+, plus. Wounds on a three plus, Ren minus one for one damage. One model in this unit can be a champion called the on Hunter Alpha, and you get to add one to the attack characteristic of that Starstone Atlantal. One in every five models in this unit can be an Icon Bearer, and you get to add one to the Bravery characteristic if this unit includes an Icon Bearer. You also get a musician, you get one in every five, can have that horn blower, and you get to add one to run rolls and charge rolls if this unit includes any horn blowers. The Raptoron special ability is deadly cohesion, and at the end of your charge phase, if this unit is more than three inches from all enemy units and within 12 inches of any friendly Raptoron charges units that made a charge move in the same phase, this unit can shoot. If it does so, it must target the unit within three inches of a friendly Raptodon charges unit that had made a charge move in that phase. Now, the Raptodon charges are going to cost you 150 points for five, and their keywords are Order, Seraphon, Skink, Raptodon, and Raptodon Hunters. The other variant is the Raptodon Chargers, which have a move of 12 inch, a save of 5+, a bravery of 5, and 2 wounds each. Each model in a Raptodon Chargers unit is armed with the Tipok lances, while the mounts are also armed with the serrated fangs. The Tipok Lance has a range of 1 inch, it has 3 attacks each, hits on a 4, wounds on a 3, Ren minus 1 for 1 damage. While the Serrated Fangs are range of 1 inch, 3 attacks, hits on a 3, wounds on a 3, Ren minus 1 for 1 damage. Much like the Raptodon Hunters, they have the same Champion, Icon Bearer and Musician. Champion being plus 1 attack, Standard Bearer giving you plus 1 bravery, and your Musician gives you plus 1 to your run and your charge rolls. This unit has 2 special abilities, the first one being Cold-Blooded Unity, Add one to the hit rolls for attacks made by this unit's Tepok Lancers that target an enemy unit if that unit was the target of a shooting attack made by a friendly Rapidon Hunter's unit in the same turn. The other rule is Geomantic Empowerment and the damage characteristic of this unit's Tepok Lancers is 2 instead of 1 if this unit is contesting an objective or if it's within 3 inches of any terrain features with the Arcane Scenery rule. The Raptoron charges are also 150 points for five, and they have the keywords Order, Seraphon, Skink, and Raptoron Charges. Now, I love the Raptoron models as they remind me of Velociraptors. I like the one-two punch between the charges and the hunters, when the charges charge and then the hunters get to shoot with that set of Ren two attacks, but it is only one damage. Now, because it is in the charge phase, your opponent's not going to be able to use all that defense, which is going to help you make the most of that combination. Then you'll get plus one to hit with the charges because the target enemy unit was also shot at by the hunters. Now, if you fight over an objective or within three inches of that arcane terrain, you're going to get two damage lance attacks as well. If you didn't want to invest into both units i can see people taking the hunters if they want those mid-range shooting objective contesting and general harassment units although you do have plenty of options I'm not sure I would take the charges on my own. I think I'd rather the Agridon Lancers instead for that type of role, but it's up to you. I could definitely see, again, depending on if you coalesce Starborn, and what else is in your unit, there is a role. They could possibly work, uh, but for me, I'd probably rather more of the offense coming from the Agridon Lancers. It's not all new units and War Scroll updates because some of those new units were designed to replace some of the former range. Not all, but some. So I want you to take a moment here and pour one out for the Seraphon graveyard because the following units are no longer in match play: Your Saurus Eternity Wardens, Your Saurus Scar Veteran on Cold One, Your Saurus Sunblood, the Skink Priest, the Saurus Knights, the Chameleon Skinks the Razodon hunting pack, and your Salamander hunting packs. Now, could you use that Salamander as the spawn of Chotek? Probably, as long as it was on the right base, and if you were attending a tournament setting, it would be up to the discretion of the tournament organizers to so reach out and have a conversation with them. Now, let's look at all the juicy War Scroll updates, starting with Lord Croak. There's been a change in the Azerite Force Barrier, The attack characteristic of this unit's Azerite Force Barrier cannot be modified. Each time this unit attacks with its Azerite Force Barrier, roll one dice for each enemy model within range, and roll five dice instead of one for each enemy monster within range. On a five plus, that model suffers one mortal wound, which is an improvement because the old war scroll used to make you do a hit roll, a wound roll, a save roll, it was ren minus one for one damage. Its wizard rule has changed, and while Lord Croak is still a four cast and four unbind wizard, if Croak is in a starborn army, it will know the law of the celestial domination, and if it's in a coalesced army, it's going to know the law of the ancient domains. There's been a change to Celestial Deliverance. It's a casting value of seven and a range of 12. This unit can attempt to cast this spell multiple times in your hero phase. Each time this spell is successfully cast, pick up to three different units within range and visible to the caster. Each of those units suffer D3 mortal wounds. The old Celestial Deliverance used to allow you to cast it up to three times, but now you're going to be able to cast it four times. The other change here is that in the old War Scroll, it used to get harder each time you would cast it. Uh, The range seems to have been slightly extended, and you also don't need to roll that 2+, to actually deal the mortal wounds. It lost Supreme Gift from the Heavens, which was a plus one to save and fly command ability, It lost Comet's call, but if you are in a Starborn army, you're going to know it anyway, just not in a coalesced or if you bring Lord Croak as an ally. Spoiler, the points have gone down. You could ally Lord Croak now if you wanted to. It's gained a rule called the Golden Death Mask, and at the start of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy unit within 12 inches of this unit and visible to it, and roll 2d6. If the roll is equal to or greater than that unit's bravery characteristic, the strike last effect applies to that unit until the end of that phase. It's also gained the War Master trait when it's in a Seraphon army. The Slan Star Master has gained two extra wounds, so it's now a wounds characteristic of nine. There's been a change in Azua Lightning, which is now a three plus to hit. It used to be a four plus There's been a change to Gift from the Heavens. You can use this command ability in your hero phase. The command can only be issued by this unit, and the unit that receives the command must be a friendly Seraphon unit. Until your next hero phase, that unit can fly. In addition, add one to save rolls for attacks made with missile weapons that target that unit until your next hero phase. It's basically the same command trait. The range has gotten shorter unless you make your Slant star master your General. It's Lost Comet's call off the War Scroll. Uh, you have gained Celestial Equilibrium, which is a spell with a casting value of 6. If successfully cast until the end of that phase, add one to casting rolls for friendly wizards other than the caster. You've also gained another spell called Shield of the Old Ones. It's a spell with a casting value of seven, and if successfully cast, the caster has a ward of four plus against mortal wounds until your next hero phase. The Saurus Old Blood on Carnosaur has gained three wounds and now has a wound characteristic of 15. The Sunbolt Gauntlet is now a 3 plus to wound. It used to be a 4 plus. The Sunstone Spear is now a Relic Celestite weapon with a range of 2 inches, 5 attacks, hits on a 3 plus, wounds on a 3 plus, Ren minus 1 for 2 damage. It has gained 2 attacks there, but the damage has gone down from 3 to 2. The Clawed Floor Limbs are Rend minus 1, they used to have no Rend, and the Massive Jaws has Rend minus 2, it used to be Rend minus 1, and it still does the 5 damage, so you've gained a point of Rend there. The damage table has changed, and it's now 0 to 5, 6 to 8, 9 to 11, and 12+. plus. This is a big boost when you consider that when you took 5 wounds on the old Profile, you would be at the middle point of your efficiency on the damage table. Now, if you took 5 wounds, you're still at top bracket. There's a change in Blood Frenzy, and if any enemy models are slain by wounds caused by this unit's attacks, for the rest of the battle, this unit is Blood Frenzied. Add 1 to Wound Rolls for attacks made by this unit's mount while it is Blood Frenzied. The old rule here was that it used to be able to run and charge once it killed the unit. This is way more useful. I was excited to see Terra has changed much like my Mega Gargans, and now enemy units cannot receive the Inspiring Presence command while they're within three inches of a friendly unit with this ability. It lost the Blazing Sunbolts ability, the Cold Ferocity, the Pin Down, and the Wrath of the Seraphon. It did gain a rule called the Ancient Warlord. Now this unit can issue the same command up to two times in the same phase. If it does so, each command must be received by a friendly Seraphon unit. No command points are spent the second time this unit issues the command in that phase. The Sora Scarvet on Carnosaur also gained three wounds like the Old Blood on Carnosaur. It's now a wounds characteristic of 15. The Warblade, the War Spear, and the Great Blade profile has been merged into the Relic Celestite weapon Range of two inches, five attacks, hits on a three plus, wounds on a three plus, Ren minus one for two damage. The clawed four claws are rend one and the massive jaws are Ren minus two, same as the old blood on Carnosaur. Its damage table, I believe, is the same zero to five, six to eight, nine to 11, and 12 plus. Blood Frenzy has changed and is exactly the same as the Old Blood on Carnosaur. It's gained Terror, the same rule as the Saurus Old Blood on Carnosaur. It did also lose the Cold Ferocity pinned down and the Saurian Savagery, but it gained a rule called maim and Tear. At the end of the combat phase, you can pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll a number of dice equal to the number of wounds allocated to that enemy unit. For each 5+, that unit suffers 1 mortal wound. With the Saurus Astrolith Bearer, the Celestite War Club is now range of 2 inches, 4 attacks, damage 2. It used to be range 1, 3 attacks, and damage 1. There was a change in Reviving Energies. Friendly Seraphon units have a ward of 6+, plus, while they're wholly within 12 inches of any friendly units with this ability. It's just a minor language tweak. It's the same ability, but I just wanted to call out the new wording for it. It did lose the fearsome jaws, but it did gain the mighty Saurus jaws. Each time this unit fights after all the attacks have been resolved, pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll three dice. These dice are referred to as bite dice, For each bite roll of a 6+, that enemy unit suffers 1 mortal wound. With the Saurus Old Blood, the old weapon options are merged into the Relic Celestite weapons with a range of 2 inches, 5 attacks, hits on a 3, wounds on a 3, rend minus 1 for 2 damage. Then when you compare that to the old weapon options, this is just flat out better. There's been a change in the Wrath of the Seraphon, In the combat phase, if this unit issues the all-out attack command to a friendly Saurus warrior or Saurus guard unit, in addition to the effects of the command ability, you get to add 1-to-wound rolls for attacks made by melee weapons by that unit until the end of the phase. This used to be a plus 1 to hit for Saurus units within 18 inches. Now, when it issues the all-out attack, you'll get plus 1 to hit and plus 1 to wound for your Saurus warriors or your Saurus guards. It lost the fearsome jaws and cold ferocity. It did gain predatory exemplar. In the combat phase, when you pick this unit to fight for the first time in that phase, you can pick one friendly Saurus warriors or Saurus guard unit wholly within 12 inches of this unit and that has not yet fought yet in that phase. This unit and that unit can fight one after each other in the order of your choosing. It too has gained the mighty Saurus jaws like the Astrolith Bearer basically after your attacks have been resolved, you pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll three dice. These are your bite rolls. For each bite roll of a six plus, that enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. Speaking of your Saurus Warriors, they have now gained an extra wound. They used to only have one wound each. They've now got two wounds each. The Celestite Spears is now two attacks and rend minus one, while the Celestite Clubs is two attacks and they hit on threes. The Spear was one attack with no rend and the club has gained an extra attack and it's become easier to hit, so boost all around. The Standard Bearer on the Saurus Warriors is now 1 in every 10, and it adds 1 to the Bravery characteristic if it includes that Icon Bearer. It used to issue a minus 1 to Bravery to enemy units within 6 inches. Uh, The Musician has also changed. It's now 1 in every 10, and you get to add plus 1 to your Run Rolls and your Charge Rolls if it includes those War Drummer Musicians. This used to let you re-roll charges, and both the Musician and the Standard Bearer used to only be 1 in every 5. Now it's 1 in every 10. Ordered Cohorts has changed, and you get to add 1 to save rolls for attacks that target this unit if it is contesting any objectives, or if it's wholly within your territory. This used to be plus 1 attack if it had 15 or more models in the unit. It has lost powerful Jaws, but in its place you've gained the sorus Jaws. Each time this unit fights after all the attacks have been resolved, pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll one dice for each model in this unit within one inch of that unit. These rolls are your bite rolls that you've heard already a number of times, and for each bite roll of a 6+, plus, that enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. Ysaurus Guard have got a base save now of a 3+, they used to be a 4+, and the Celestite Pole Arms is range of 2 inches, it used to only be 1 inch. The Standard Bearer and the Musician are the same as the Soros Warriors, so the plus 1 to your Bravery or plus 1 to Run and Charge, but unlike the Warriors, your Saurus Guard are still getting their Standard Bearer and Musician for 1 in every 5, while our Warriors are 1 in every 10. They lost the powerful Jaws and in its places gained the Saurus Jaws, which is the same as the Saurus Warriors, and there has been a change in the Selfless Protectors. Before you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to a friendly Seraphon hero that is not a monster, or instead of making a ward roll for a wound or a mortal wound to be allocated to a friendly Seraphon hero that is not a monster, if this unit is within 3 inches of that friendly Seraphon hero, you can roll the dice. On a 1 to a 2, that wound or mortal wound is allocated to that Seraphon hero as normal, but on a 3 plus that wound or mortal wound is allocated to this unit instead. Now this rule used to be locked to only protecting Slan, so now it's open up to be all Seraphon heroes that aren't a monster. It is a little harder now to pass the wounds. It used to be a two plus shrug, but again, you've now got more options to protect skinks and other heroes again that aren't monsters. In addition to your brand new Croxigore Warspawn, you do still have your vanilla Croxigore. The movement has changed to be a move of five. The Moonstone Hammer is now four attacks, hits on threes, and damage three. The Moon Hammer used to have a number of attacks equal to the enemy models within two inches. Uh, It's become easier to hit and is going to do more damage. The Vice-like Jaws is now an ability, and it's the same as the Croxigore Warspawn. There's been a change in sweeping blows. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with a drakebite maul or the moonstone hammer is a 6, and the target unit has 10 or more models, that attack scores 2 hits on the target instead of 1. Make a wound and a save roll for each hit. This is the rule that used to make your moonstone hammer calculate the amount of extra attacks depending on how many models were within 2 inches, and it had no benefit to the more. It lost the battle synergy and the jaws of a steel trap. It's gained the skink guidance we spoke about earlier on the Croxagore Warspawn, where the unit champions of skink units can issue commands to this unit if this unit is wholly within 12 inches of a skink unit. The skink star priest is now a 4-up save and 6 wounds, both of those characteristics improving by 1. The Skink Starseer is now a two-cast and two-unbind wizard. It used to only have a single cast and a single unbind. It's lost the Astral Bolt Missile profile, the Controlled Fate spell, the Cosmic Herald, and the Astromancer's Staff ability, which was at 3d6 charge for a unit. It has gained Scry the Stars once per battle in your Hero Phase. You can say that this unit will Scry the Stars. If you do so, roll a number of dice equal to the number of the current battle round. For each 2+, plus, you can pick one friendly Seraphon unit on the battlefield. That unit has a ward of 5+, plus until the start of your next hero phase. It has gained a spell called the Celestial Doom. It's a casting value of 7 and a range of 12 inches. If successfully cast, pick one enemy unit within range and visible to the caster. Until the end of your turn, ward rolls cannot be made for models in that unit. With the Skink Star Priest, the Venom Bolt Missile Profile and the Astral Herald ability have been removed from the profile. Everything else seems to be the same, and I didn't notice any new rules on the Skink Star Priest. The Skink Oracle on Troglodon has gained 2 extra wounds. It's now a wounds characteristic of 14. 14. The Noxious Spittles is 3 attacks. The Venomous Jaws starts at 3 plus to wound, and it's still tied to the damage table. It's Ren minus 1 and 3 damage. The Four Limbs is Ren minus 1, while the Divining Rod is a 2-inch range attack and is now hitting on 3 plus. Uh, If you want to know some of the changes from the old War Scrolls, uh, the Spittles used to be D3 attacks, so your profile is now way more consistent. The jaws and four limbs have gained a point of rend. The jaws went up from damage two to damage three, and the rod has improved in both its range and to hit roll. The damage table is zero to five, six to eight, nine to 11, and 12 plus, consistent with our Carnosaurs. There's been a change in regeneration. At the start of the hero phase, you can heal up to D3 wounds allocated to this unit. Now this only used to happen in your hero phase, and you needed to roll a 2+, plus in order to activate their regeneration. So now you're healing in both my turn and your turn. The Troglodon also gained Terror exactly the same as the Carnosaur, where enemy units cannot receive the Inspiring Presence command while they're within 3 inches of any friendly units with this ability. Uh, this used to be a minus 1 to bravery for units within 3 inches, which I'm sure you would agree is a big boost. Venomous Spittle has changed. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made by this unit's Noxious Spittles or Venomous Jaws is a 6, that attack causes a number of mortal wounds to the target equal to the damage characteristic, and the attack sequence ends, so don't make a wound roll or a save roll. This used to be one mortal wound in addition from sixes to wound. Um, The flat spittle attack profile now being more consistent and the hit roll getting better should trigger more mortal wounds, but they aren't in addition like they used to be. It did lose Drawn to the Screams, Oracle of the Slan, and Comet's Call. It did gain Primordial Mire. It's a spell with a casting value of 7 and a range of 12. If successfully cast, pick one objective or terrain feature within range and visible to the caster. Until your next hero phase, units within 3 inches of that objective or terrain feature cannot run or retreat and must halve any charge rolls. The spell has no effect to skink units or units that can fly. Speaking of your skinks, the javelin is now 4 plus to hit and 5 plus to wound with a ren minus 1. The Bolt Splitter is now 4 plus to hit, the Moonstone Club is now 2 attacks, Uh, the Javelin Hit and Wound Profiles just swapped, and they've gained a point of rend, the Moonstone Club has gained an extra attack, and the Bolt Splitter has gone from a 5 plus to hit to a 4 plus to hit. The Shield has changed, and if the unit is armed with a Shield Bucklers, it has a save characteristic of 5 plus instead of 6 plus. This used to be plus 1 to your save, so while on paper it appears to be the same result, you are getting an improvement, especially when you apply Mystic Shield, all that defense, uh, cover, or you're even fighting something with no rend. It did lose Swarming Cohort, which would give you plus 1 attack if you had 15 or more models, but it did gain a rule called Swift and Nimble. Each time this unit runs or receives the Redeploy command, When determining the distance this unit can move, you can roll two dice instead of one and pick either result. Your Pterodon Chief has gained an extra wound and is now six wounds. The Sky Blade is now three plus to wound and two damage. It used to be four plus to wound and only one damage. There's been a minor improvement in lead from on high. You'll always be minus one to be hit by opponent's missile weapons. It used to have a condition on the old War Scroll where if your opponent could fly, it would bypass the minus one to be hit. Now, regardless, fly or no fly, your Pterodon Chief is always going to be minus one to be hit by missile weapons. There's been a change in Coordinated Attack. Once per battle at the start of your movement phase, you can pick one friendly unit with this ability on the battlefield to call down a Pterodon Attack. If you do so until the end of that phase, each time a friendly pterodon unit, wholly within 12 inches of that unit, calls its deadly cargo ability, the enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds on a 2+, instead of a 4+. This used to be a command ability, it's now just an ability. Uh, It's the same rules though, just not costing you a CP anymore. Speaking of deadly cargo, the pterodon Chief has gained the ability deadly cargo. Once per battle, after this unit finishes a normal move or run, you can pick one enemy unit and roll a dice if this unit passed across any models in that unit. On a 4+, that enemy unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. In addition, if any mortal wounds caused by this ability are allocated to that enemy unit, halve the movement characteristic of that enemy unit until your next hero phase. It's gained the same Deadly Cargo ability that is sitting on the Pterodon War Scroll, but it's also improved because it's now got this new feature where you halve the movement characteristic if you do the mortals. With your Pterodon Riders, the Starstrike Javelins is now Rend minus one. The Sun Leech Bolas is four attacks with a four plus to wound. The Javelins never had a Rend attack, so you've gained Rend And the bolus attack characteristic used to be D6. But the wounding did get harder though. So it used to be a 3-up. Now it's a 4-up. The deadly cargo that it already had, it's now improved to be the same as what I mentioned with the pterodon Chief. So you've gotten the half-move ability in addition to the mortal wounds. And you've also gained attack from on high, which is same as the pterodon Chief, which is a minus one to be hit by missile weapons, regardless if you fly or you don't fly. Euripidactyl Chief has now gained an extra wound, so it's now a characteristic of 6 wounds. The Skyblade is now 3 attacks, wounds on 3's and damage 2. The Tearing Jaws is 3 attacks, rend minus 1 for 2 damage. The Skyblade has lost an attack, it's improved the 2 wound roll and it's gained an extra point in damage. While the Jaws has lost an attack, it's gained a point of rend and it's gained a point in damage. There's been a change in the Ripidactyl Chief ability, once per battle at the start of your combat phase, you can pick one friendly unit with this ability on the battlefield and call down a Ripidactyl Assault. If you do so until the end of that phase, add one to the attack characteristic of melee weapons used by friendly Ripidactyl units while they're wholly within 12 inches of this unit. It used to be a command ability and the range has gotten shorter. You used to be able to receive this benefit if you were within 18 inches of the Ripodactyl Chief, now it's within 12 inches. It has lost the Vicarious Appetite ability, which was exploding sixes to hit. You have gained the Bloat Toad ability, so you receive one Bloat Toad marker for each Ripodactyl Chief in your army. After the players have received their starting command points, but before the start of the first turn, You can pick one enemy unit to have the Bloat Toad for each Bloat Toad marker you have. Place the Bloat Toad marker next to that enemy unit. It's worth calling out that Bloat Toads are not actually units. They're just markers that are used to keep track of when an enemy unit has a Bloat Toad attached to them. Now this becomes important because you've gained a rule called Toad Rage. In the combat phase, add 1 to the hit rolls and wound rolls for attacks made by this unit's tearing jaws that target an enemy unit that has a bloat toad. It's also gained a rule called swooping dive. Subtract 1 from hit rolls for attacks made with missile weapons that target this unit. In addition, if this unit is targeted by attacks made by an enemy unit that received the Unleash Hell command in that phase, those attacks only score a hit on an unmodified roll of a 6. While with the Ripodactyl Riders, the Moonstone War Spear is now a range of two inches and two attacks. The Tearing Jaws is rend minus one for two damage. All of those are boosts. The War Spear has gained range and gained extra damage. The Jaws have gained rend and extra damage. The Bloat Toad and the Toad Rage is the same as the Ripodactyl Chief, so you now set it up at the start of the game instead of the combat phase. It no longer lets you re-roll your hits, but it is giving you plus one to hit and plus one to wound. It too lost volcarious Appetite, and it's also gained the Swooping Dive, which is the same as the Ripodactyl Chief. The Stegadon Chief is now Bravery 8 and 14 Wounds. The bravery boost is significant when you consider it used to be 5, so it's going to help you a lot with a heroic recovery, for example. It's also gained an extra 4 wounds. The meteoric javelins are now 4 plus to hit, 5 plus to wound, and rend minus 1, while the meteoric war spear is now a range of 2 inches. The javelin's hit and wound has swapped, and it's gained a point in rend, while the spear has gained an extra inch in range. The damage table has changed to be consistent in what you've seen with the Carnosaurs and the Troglodon, so it's now 0-5, to 6-8, to 9-11, to 11 and 12+. Coordinated Strike has changed once per turn. This unit can issue a command to a friendly skink unit without a command point being spent, so this used to be a command ability that would give plus 1 attack in melee to a skink unit. Unstoppable Stampede is now dealing D3 mortal wounds on a 2+. When you finish a charge, it used to be a 3+. And with Steadfast Majesty, you'll add 3 to the Bravery characteristic of friendly skink units that do not have the Stegadon keyword, while they're wholly within 12 inches of any friendly units with this ability. This used to let you re-roll Battleshock tests for friendly skink units wholly within 18 inches, but as we know, rerolls are being mostly removed from the game. While your standard Stegadon has also gained a bravery of 8 and 14 wounds, so it's the same change as the Stegadon Chief, the Damage Table, the Steadfast Majesty, and the Unstoppable Stampede is the same as what I just spoke about with the Stegadon Chief. It's also gained a new rule called the Skink War Party that I absolutely love, where this unit now counts as 10 models for the purpose of contesting objectives. Before I get into the changes with the Bastilladon, I thought I'd call out an interesting thing I noticed on the War Scroll. So in the old book, there used to be two independent War Scrolls for the Bastilladon. Now there's only one War Scroll. So the profiles have merged. Um, You still have the weapon loadout for the Ark of Sotek and the Solar Engines. And there's a rule on the war scroll that says the weapon option will determine the unit's pitch battle profile. So basically, the Ark of Sotek and the Solar Engine points values are different. It's just that they now have one war scroll. It's it's a weird one, but I guess maybe we're saving a tree by not printing an extra page on a on the book. Who knows? Anyway, let's look at the Bastillodon actual profile. Starting off with some of the big changes, the Bacillodon now has a save characteristic of a 2+. It also has 12 wounds, and it has no damage table. So you've gained 2 extra wounds from the old War Scroll. You don't start on a 1-up save, but your profile also doesn't degrade as it takes wounds. I'm sorry, I'm pumped for this change. I hated that 1-up save. It was dumb. I think you and your opponents will be happy overall. Sorry, not sorry. The Meteoric Javelins have changed to be a 4-up save, 5-up to wound, uh, Ren minus 1. The Solar Engine is 3 attacks, hitting on 3s, Ren minus 3 for 3 damage. As I mentioned, this used to be tied to the damage table. It used to start at 9, hit on 4s, Ren minus 1 for 2 damage. So this Ren minus 3 is pretty insane with a solid damage characteristic to go with it. The Ark of Sotek is 20 attacks and wounds on 3+. plus. This 2 used to be tied to the damage table and it used to start at 18 attacks. uh, And it used to be 6s to wound. So like with 18 dice, with 6s to wound, it was almost like, why bother? So I mentioned earlier the damage table has been removed off the War Scroll, but it's also lost the Light of the Heavens, which used to give you plus 1 damage against Chaos Demons. It has gained the Tide of Snakes. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made with the Ark of Sotek is a 6, the target suffers one mortal wound and the attack sequence ends. Don't make a wound or a save roll. Both versions of the Hunters of Huachi, the Dark Pipes and the Bolas, and as well as the Terror Wings, they all appear to be exactly the same as they are on the AOS app, so calling there no changes. The Engine of the Gods has significantly changed so much that you're getting a whole section on its own. So the Bravery and the Wounds have changed. Uh, The Bravery is 8 and the Wounds are 14. Both of those characteristics went up by 2. The Damage Table, the Meteoric Javelins, the Steadfast Majesty, and the Unstoppable Stampede is the same as the Stegadon Chief. Now the real meaty change here is going to come through the Cosmic Engine. In your shooting phase, you can say that this unit will either harness or reserve the power of its cosmic engine. If you say that it harnesses the power, pick one of the effects below and generate a power score by rolling 2d6. If you say that it will reserve the power, nothing happens, but you can roll one extra dice the next time this unit harnesses the power of the cosmic engine. Now it's worth calling out that this unit can reserve its power over multiple turns before it harnesses it. So for example, if in Turn 1 and Turn 2 that you don't use the Cosmic Engine, when you use it, let's say in Turn 3, you would roll 2 extra dice when you generate your power, so you'd be doing 4d6 as opposed to 2d6. You've got 4 different options in Healing Light, Bolts of Azor Energy, Time Slows, and Starlight Summons. With Healing Light on a power score of 2 to 6, nothing happens. On a power score of 7+, plus, you get to heal D3 wounds allocated to each friendly Seraphon unit, wholly within 6 inches of this unit. Now roll those dice separately for each unit. With Bolts of Azure energy, on a power score of 2 to 8, this unit suffers 1 mortal wound. On a power score of 9+, plus, pick 1 enemy unit within 24 inches of this unit and it's visible to it. Now roll a number of dice equal to the power score, and for each 4+, plus, that enemy unit suffers 1 mortal wound. With time slows on a power score of 2-10, to 10, this unit suffers d3 mortal wounds. On a power score of 11, until the end of the turn, the strike first effect applies to friendly Seraphon units wholly within 6 inches of this unit. Finally, Starlight summons on a power score of 2-12, to 12, this unit suffers 3 mortal wounds. On a power score of 13+, you can summon 1 Soros Warrior unit of 10 models or 1 Skink Cohort unit of 20 models to the battlefield and add it to your army. The summoned unit must be set up wholly within 6 inches of this unit and more than 9 inches from all enemy units. So you now get to choose your ability and roll against it rather than rolling a dice and hoping it lands on the ability that you need at the time that you need it. The Bolt of Azor can be way more potent, especially if you reserve at least one extra dice for that roll. Healing Light got a little shorter range from 12 inches to 6 inches. And the unit summons let you bring on a Skink or a Saurus unit. I think it only used to let you do a Saurus unit in the past. You lost the ability to re-roll charges and you can't double the attacks if you happen to roll 18 on a 3d6 and you no longer get an extra dice if a slant is within 12 inches of the engine of the gods. I love the strike first effect but it is a short range which might limit at least the way I like to play with a bunch of dinos on their big bases so it could be hard to fit it wholly within 6 inches. Finally, with your Star Stalkers Warband, Kixitaka has a Bravery of 8 and 6 Wounds. Uh, this used to only be a 6 Bravery and 5 Wounds. This Star Bolt is now 3 plus to hit and D3 damage. The Starstone Staff is ranged 2 inches, hits on 3s, wounds on 3s. It lost the Starstone Staff ability that used to let a Skink unit run and shoot and charge, as well as Herald of the Old Ones but it did gain a rule called Servant of the Star Masters. Once per battle in your hero phase, you can pick one enemy unit within 6 inches of this unit and roll a dice. On a 2+, plus, models in that unit cannot contest objectives until the start of the next turn. Clacktrock has a movement of 5 inches and 8 wounds. The Celestite War Maw is now range of 2 inches, Ren minus 1 for 2 damage. The Bolstering Presence is adding 3 inches to the bravery characteristic of friendly Starblood Stalker units while they're wholly within 9 inches of this unit. It lost Cold Ferocity, but it gained Savage Protector. You can reroll Hit Rolls and Wound Rolls for attacks made by this unit while it's wholly within 3 inches of Kixitaka. It's also gained the Mighty Saurus Jaws. Each time this unit fights, after all the attacks have been resolved, pick one enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll three dice. These are your bite rolls that we've spoken about already. For each bite roll on a six plus, that enemy unit suffers one mortal wound. Finally, your Starblood Stalkers have a save of five plus and two wounds, so both went up one. The missile profiles have merged. The dart pipe is now 16 inch range, Two attacks, hits on three plus, wounds on three plus, no rend for one damage. Uh, so the javelin and the bolt splitter attacks are gone, and the dart pipes have just become easier. The melee profiles have also merged to become celestite weapons range of one inch, three attacks, hits on threes, wounds on threes, no rend for one damage. It did lose the chameleon ambush ability, so Kixitaka and Clacktrock would be able to ambush. Uh, as well as the star buckler ability has been removed from the war scroll but it has gained a ability basically a bodyguard ability called sacred duty before you allocate a wound or mortal wound to a friendly kixitaka or instead of making a ward roll for a wound or a mortal wound that would be allocated to a friendly kixitaka if this unit is within three inches of a friendly kixitaka you can roll a dice on a 1 to 2, that wound or mortal wound is allocated to Kixitaka as normal. On a 3+, plus, that wound or mortal wound is allocated to this unit instead. So there are plenty of War Scroll changes in this book, and it makes sense that the points will change as well. You saw some points discounts in the Terror Wings going down 5 points. The Skink Star Priest went down 10 points. The Slant Star Master went down 15 points. The Astrolith Bearer went down 20 points. And Lord Croak went down 55 points. But as foretold in the Great Plan, you had plenty of points that went up as well. Your Bastilladon with Solar Engine, the Hunters of Hawachi with Dart Pipes, and your Skinks all went up 5 points. Your Saurus Guard and your Stegadon Chief went up 10 points. Your Saurus Old Blood went up 15 points. Your Bastilodon with the Ark of Sotek, your Skink Oracle, Troglodon, and your Pterodon Riders all went up twenty points. Croxagores went up twenty-five points. Stegodons went up thirty points. Your Ripodactyl Chief, your Epidactyl Riders, and your Pterodon Chief all went up forty points. Your Saurus Old Blood on Carnasaur went up forty-five points. Your Scarvet on Carnassaur went up fifty-five points. The Starblood Stalkers went up ninety points and Ysaurus Warriors went up 100 points, but no surprise, they literally doubled in their wounds. I mentioned earlier that the Chameleon Skinks, the Razor Don, the Salamanta Hunting Packs, the Saurus Eternity Warden, Ysaurus Knights, Ysaurus Sunblood, the Scarvet on Cold One, and your Skink Priests are no longer in the Battle Tome, now they are considered to be out of match play. The Dreadsaurian from Forge World is nowhere to be seen, so don't ask me about the points. I have no idea. And you do have a couple of new units. You have your Agridon Lancers coming in at 210 points. Your Croxagore War are 185 points. Your Raptedon Chargers are 150 points. So are your Raptedon hunters at 150 points. Your Saurus Scar veteran on Agrodon is 175. And your spawn of Chotek is 125. Your ally options are the same. You've still got Stormcast Eternals if you want to bring Prime Time, and you also have the Cities of Sigma. but who knows what's coming down the line with that faction in the near future. The other thing you'll probably want to consider is your battle line option. So your Saurus Guard, your Saurus Warriors, and your Skinks will always be battle line regardless of the sub-faction or your general choices in Seraphon. While your Stegodons are Battleline if you choose a Thunder Lizard army, your Agrodon Lancers are Battleline if your General is a Saurus, your Croxigor and your Croxigore Warspawn are Battleline if you choose a Kotal's Claw army, and your Raptor on Charges and your Raptor on Hunters will become Battleline in a Fangs of Sotek army. A bunch of these new units are now becoming battle line options in a number of forms, but you'll also notice that Croxigore have become battle line options that weren't previously available to you in the old book. So great news for you list scientists out there. I can't wait to see what you do with the Croxigore. This is a massive book of changes and perhaps my longest preview to date. So that's enough for me because I will go deeper into this faction with experienced players in the near future, both with a Starborn and a Coalesced focused videos. But I want to hear from you in the meantime. Let me know in the comment section what you're thinking so far. Do you play Starborn? Do you play Coalesced? How have these changes impacted you? And let me know what you're thinking about the new units. Do you like them? Which ones do you like and why? Why? Drop it in the comments section and I hope you found value in this preview. Thanks for hanging around until the end. I hope you enjoyed that video and you walked away with a few new ideas. Now, if you did, I would love it if you pressed like on the video as well as left me a comment with your thoughts. The conversation will continue over on Discord and the link is down below in the episode description. I also want to give a massive shout out to the AOS Coach patrons and YouTube members who are supporting the channel and the growth that you're seeing here cheese you are all bloody legends and until next time don't roll a double one on a spell cast